Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. You know, there, there have been many people who have been in bondage to sin, deep bondage to sin. They've come to Christ. They've been freed from that bondage. There's been a glorious liberation. And then through processes of beginning to look back on the good old days or heart getting a little bit hardened, dabbling with a little bit of sin here, drift back, and then one day you might wake up and find yourself, you're all bound up again. You're all chained up again. What is the solution? Well, the solution is you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, and then I will turn back your captivity. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor because Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Is because Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Jeremiah chapters 26 through 30. Now here's Pastor Brian. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. The Lord do so. The Lord perform your words which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all who were carried away captive from Babylon to this place. So, you know, Jeremiah is being, he's being a bit sarcastic here. He just says, okay, amen. Let's see it. Because, of course, the, uh, a prophet is verified by their prophecies being fulfilled. So Jeremiah says, okay, we'll, we'll watch and see. We'll see who the prophet is. We've got two years to see, see what happens here. He says in two years, Nebuchadnezzar is going to be overthrown. Jehoiakim's going to come back. Amen. Let it be so. Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who have been before me And before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war, disaster, and pestilence. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Then Hananiah, the prophet, took the yoke off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. So you can imagine this was a a very dramatic scene that's going on here. They're in the house of the Lord. The priest, all of the people are there. Jeremiah's got this yoke around his neck. Hananiah is giving these false prophecies. Then he goes over to Jeremiah and he just rips this thing off of his neck and he throws it down and he breaks it. And he says, this is how God's going to break the yoke of the king of Babylon. And so Jeremiah, he departed. And when, verse 12, the word of the Lord, now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah saying, go and tell Hananiah saying, thus says the Lord, you have broken the yoke of wood, but you have made in their place yokes of iron. So all of that drama and yet Nothing has changed except you've just exchanged yokes of wood for yokes of iron. 
that can't be broken. And, you know, in, in these stories and in these events that happen, I think one thing for us to take away is just the certainty of what God says. And it's, it's an it's a irreversible thing. When God declares he's going to do something, uh, he's going to do it. And that's what we see being uh, acted out here. So, verse 14, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. I have given him the beast of the field also. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died in the same year in the seventh month. Wow. So God is confirming over and over the words of Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, this is what's going to happen. And it happens. And we see that here again. Now, the 29th chapter of Jeremiah is contains some of the most um, comforting uh, passages in the Bible. And uh, 29, 11 through 13 is really the passages that I'm referring to. But we need to see the context. The context of these statements is a letter that Jeremiah sends to the captives in Babylon. So remember, there there are many now that are living in Babylon. And so Jeremiah is writing them to give them instruction. So in Jerusalem, the false prophets like Hananiah are saying, you know, they're going to be back soon. In Babylon, the false prophets are basically telling them the same thing. And the false prophets in Babylon are sending messages to Jerusalem, as we'll see in a minute, telling the people to deal with Jeremiah, to silence him, to put him to death. So there's this long-distance communication that's happening, and Jeremiah writes to now the captives in Babylon. And so, chapter 29, Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. And just remember, Ezekiel is the one in Babylon who is prophesying. So Ezekiel and Jeremiah are saying the same thing from two different locations. And just as Jeremiah was hated in Jerusalem and they wanted to do away with him, Ezekiel was hated in Babylon because he wasn't giving the, the popular message. So all this happened after Jeconiah the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying... 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. And so now here's the instruction that God is going to give them. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. Verse seven, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or your diviners who are in your midst deceive you nor listen to uh, your dreams, which you cause to be dreamed for the prophecy falsely to you, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. So what is the message of the Lord? The message of the Lord is build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens, eat the fruit, settle down. You're, you're, you're in Babylon. And remember, Jeremiah had prophesied, you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. And this is, the Lord is now through this letter, he's just reiterating that that is indeed the case. Um, but verse seven, verse seven is a really, it's a great verse to think of in relation to even where we find ourselves in the world. It's a great verse that I think speaks of the posture of the church in a community. So what does it say? Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace, you will have peace. You know, the church in a community ought to be seeking the welfare and the blessing of the community. And the church in a community actually has the the capacity to do that because we are able to pray and we are able to ask the Lord to bless and we are able to spread the influence of the gospel in our communities. And I think that this is a much better approach to a community than taking an adversarial position. You know, quite often we just... You know, we think in terms of uh, we're going to take an adversarial position against the the community, against the culture. We're going to fight against all of the worldly things. And the Lord, really, to the people of uh, Judah, he he says, you know, don't don't do that. Live in the midst of the city and just live your faith and pray and be a blessing and see what happens. And, you know, where churches have taken that position rather than the adversarial position, it's amazing the things that God can do in a community. You know, we hear so often, we hear it like third or fourth down the line that, oh, you know, they, they hate Christians over there. Oh, yeah, you know, Christians, man, you, you can't do anything over there because that, that community or the board, uh, uh, the council members of that city or whatever, oh, you know, they just, they just don't want to have anything to do with the church. They're against the church. We hear stories like this all the time. And I almost think a lot of those things are just rumors that the enemy stirs up to keep us 
uh, fearful of, of stepping into things that God might want to use us for. Because what you find out more than more often than not, as the church goes into a community and just begins to serve the community and make itself available to be a blessing to the community, the community welcomes that. The community says, oh, yeah, you want to help? That, that's fantastic. And so that's a, a strategy that we want to employ in our community. We want to be a blessing to the community. And it's what God said to do. A man named Tim Keller, some of you have heard me reference him. Some of you know who he is. Tim pastored at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City for 30 years. And this was one of the verses God gave him in going into New York, that he would seek the peace of the city. And God used him and others in that city to to bring a presence of Christ into the city. And I think that's just a great, great strategy. And it's a God-given strategy. So verse 10, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon. So there it is, the 70 years. After 70 years are completed, I will visit you and perform my goodwill toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. There's that great passage, Jeremiah 29, 11. So it's important to understand the passage in its context. And we see it. The context is God's making a promise to the people of Judah that after 70 years, he's going to restore them because his thoughts toward them are for good, not for evil. He, he has a future plan for them. And that's the encouragement. And then he goes on and he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. So this is the passage that, this is that, that anchor of hope for the people for the next 70 years. They're going to hold on to this promise that God has a future plan for us. And as I think I pointed out previously, it was Daniel who would, be, who would have been one of the young boys that was carried away in one of the first or second deportations to Babylon that would later understand by the reading of the prophet Jeremiah that God had determined 70 years upon the nation. And he would begin to make preparation and he would pray. And then he would have a revelation about the fact that there were 70 times seven more periods to finish up all of God's plan and purpose for the nation. But this passage, again, has its initial and primary application to the restoration of Judah, which partially took place at the end of the 70 years. But this also is is a prophecy that projects out to a future date from today. Because we know that when the Jews came back into the land, 
They never entered into the full prosperity that God promised, the full blessing, the covenant blessing, and all of that. Uh, that's all tied to the Messiah. And having rejected the Messiah, they, they didn't inherit that. But they will in the future. But here's the point that I want to make, that this passage has been the anchor and the hope for millions of Christians as well, and rightfully so, rightfully so. This is God's word to God's people. Now, I've said this before, but let me just say it again. Uh, Some people sometimes can get so seems like they, they kind of get prideful. They get, get some knowledge. They get elevated a little bit in their knowledge. And then in doing that, they want to come off as somebody who really knows the text and understands the context to the point that they want to deprive you of the, of the personal promise and blessing of Jeremiah 29.11. So someone will say, hey, that Look at the context, man. You know, that, that's, that's for Judah. It's not for you. You can't just take that and claim that for your life. Why not? I say, why not? These promises of God, yes, they have a very, you know, specific fulfillment that will happen or, or did happen. But there's also an application that's much broader for the people of God. And what we can do as God's people is we can lay hold of these promises and we can stake our claim on these promises ourselves. And I know I've done that. And I would imagine that many of you in this room have done that with this very verse. And I have had experiences where, where this passage has just come alive to me, where it's like, you know, that those times where the word just sort of leaps off the page and you just know that God is speaking to you. And what do you do with that? I'll tell you what you do with it. You grab hold of it and you claim it and you say, yes, Lord, I believe this. And when somebody comes along and says, oh, that's about, that's about Judah coming back from the Babylonian captivity. That's not for you. You say, well, yeah, yeah I know it's about that, but it is about me too. Because it's a promise for God's people. And we're going to take it and we're going to stand on it. There are times when we might just go through and we look at a passage and think, well, that's a great passage. I want to claim that for myself. And perhaps in some cases that application isn't there for us. There have been people that have been mistaken about certain applications at times. But... In my experience, the Holy Spirit is the one who impresses things on our hearts. You know, I I can read certain promises of God at certain times and just, you know, I read them and I'm like, yep, that was for Israel there. That was for Judah there. That was for somebody there. That was for somebody else over there. And, you know, it, it just kind of passes right by me. But then other times I'm reading and I can look at a, a text and all of a sudden it's like, this text is speaking to me. This is, this is calling out my name. This is saying, Brian, this is for you. This is my word to you. Grab hold of it. Believe it. Stand on it. 
And we all can do that. And we should do that. But looking at it from more of a, of a personal standpoint, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Man, those are just such great words, aren't they? God's thoughts and his plans for us are good. That's always true. God's thoughts and plans for us are good. And his thoughts are of peace and not of evil. And his intentions are to give us a future and a hope. And every Christian can bank on that. Every Christian can just say, that is absolutely true. Now, I might not know exactly how that works itself out or what that looks like, but I can know that ultimately that is true. And so I rest in that. But then as we go on, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So then there's that that exhortation there. And I have received this as a word from the Lord many times as well. Just that that prompting from the Spirit to seek me and, and to seek me with all your heart. And you know, as we are moved by God's word to do this, you know that the intention of God is to bring about those, um, those good thoughts that he has for us, those thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give us a future and a hope. And he says here then to them, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. So they're going to be brought back then at that time from their captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. You know, on a, again, on a more personal note, sometimes Christians find themselves, because of sin and disobedience, they find themselves in captivity. You know, there, there have been many people who have been in bondage to sin, deep bondage to sin. They've come to Christ. They've been freed from that bondage. There's been a glorious liberation. They might go on from for some years with, with just this absolute freedom. And then through, you know, processes of, of beginning to look back on the good old days or heart getting a little bit hardened, dabbling with a little bit of sin here and there. Pretty soon what happens is you start to drift back, drift back, and then one day you might wake up and find yourself, you're all bound up again. You're all chained up again. What what happened? I was free from this stuff. How, how am I back here again? What is the solution? Well, the solution is you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, and then I will turn back your And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. An important aspect of the Christian life is understanding that we are in a spiritual battle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, the Apostle Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 6, but we are in a war against these principalities and powers, against these spiritual beings. And so, I've written a book 
that was at one time entitled Spiritual Warfare, but in the updated version, I changed the title to The Powers of Darkness and the People of God. And I think this is such an important book. So many of us go about experiencing the what is really the attack of, of the devil, but we don't even realize that that's what's going on. So this book will inform you not only of how to detect when the enemy's at work, but also of how to combat the various schemes of the enemy to mess with us and to undermine our faith and to just basically make our lives miserable. So I want to encourage you to pick up a copy of The Powers of Darkness and The People of God. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Brian Broderson. You can order the book The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Brian Broderson. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.